One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and as always, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So England are now officially out of their misery and the World Cup after a 33-run defeat to Australia. We'll hear from a very frustrated captain, Josh Butler, and look ahead to a huge game against the Netherlands as they bid to qualify for the 2025 Champions Trophy. England Test captain Ben Stokes has confirmed he'll have surgery on his knee straight after the World Cup. We'll discuss how important that is, uh, that he's fit for the Test Series in India in uh, the new year. David Willey explains why he's retired from international cricket and the former England captain Owen Morgan has dismissed reports that he could be their next white ball head coach. We'll hear from him on the show a little later. And we'll look back at two other hugely important games at the World Cup as Pakistan beat New Zealand and India made another huge statement with a record 243-run win over South Africa. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening, as always, to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Army, we have to start talking about England again. You were confident about their run chase against Australia. I didn't think that they'd be able to turn around their batting. And so it proved with a sixth defeat in seven games, um, a very real danger now of missing out on qualification for the Champions Trophy. They've lost five games in a row. As I said, six out of seven in the tournament. And we're still trying to find answers. Have you come up with any new ones? No, not come up with any new ones, um, but the same old old ones have have come back to haunt them when it comes to the batting and 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 how they performed against Australia. They were better, but still nowhere near to the level that they have been for the last five or six years. And it's it's hard to put your finger on it. It just seems as though everything that could go wrong, you know, has gone wrong. What watching the cricket out here in India and you know working on it for you know from a, a studio based perspective and point of view I'm watching teams play cricket with ease with comfort with enjoyment you know the big big teams are, are really enjoying the, the you know this tournament you know watching them bat India looks up the back batting easy at the minute South Africa definitely make batting easy at the minute everything that's England seem to be do be doing seems to look difficult seems to be an effort for for them and that I think is down to the the lack of confidence in in the group, lack of confidence in individuals, um, and possibly a sign that 
this great white ball team, this great white ball cycle, the best that we've ever had, is uh, is not only coming to an end, it's coming to an end in a fashion which nobody wants to see. I really don't want to see it yeah, end like this for, for many of these you know, superstars that have played for England, but it doesn't look easy for England at this minute in time. Batten doesn't look as though you know, it's enjoyable out in the middle for anybody in the Three Lions. And you know, again, last night against Australia, we got in a position where I thought there were 40, to, 40 runs too many. They got, Zampa got 29 at the back end. I thought with bowling changes, some of our fielding, the fielding got praised on, on the TV by the commentators, but I thought they were stopping the ball, but I didn't think they were getting to it very, very quickly. And I didn't think they were, they were, they were saving singles and, you know, they weren't saving twos. That's from an energy level. And it just, it just looked as though it was hard work for England. So from that point of view, I thought they were 40 short and they were always sitting there looking at the scoreboard when, when Stokes and Milan were going after a poor start, you're going, 250 was a cakewalk. 250 would have been easy. 250 was the, the number that England really should have restricted Australia to. Um, and 289 was just far too many. And as it proved, England fell, yeah, they fell well short in the end. All right, Harmy. It's um, been a torrid time for Josh Butler with the bat and also as captain. Uh, the media duties are pretty arduous and onerous, even when you're winning for some captains. Mm. But here is him after the Australian after the Australian game. I wouldn't say the belief shaken, more just the frustration grows and, and adds. These are top quality players. I speak about myself more. I think, yeah, the belief in my game is, is as high as it's ever been, really. So which means why there's so much frustration. You know, coming into the tournament, felt in fantastic form, um, as good a form as I've been in. Uh, so to be sat here having had the tournament I've had is, is incredibly frustrating, but... It doesn't shake your belief. Yeah, if, if I stop believing in myself, I've got to make sure I'm the last one that does that. You guys will give up on me a lot earlier than I'll give up on myself. Just, just on your batting, has it felt as though the captaincy has taken any kind of toll or is it something that's completely irrelevant to that and, and just a rhythm thing? Do you have any sort of diagnosis as to what's happened? No, I wouldn't say the captaincy is something I've, I've enjoyed that responsibility in T20 cricket and ODI cricket before this tournament uh, I felt like it's brought out a lot of really good things in my batting so um, yeah it's been frustrating I think I can't quite put a finger on uh, why I'm not playing to the level I expect of myself uh, I've played a lot of cricket in India uh, I've played a lot of IPL cricket here so it's not as if you know, I don't know the conditions or, or the grounds um, so yeah it's you know and as you say as a captain you want to lead from the front so um, of all the things that have happened on this trip I'd say my own form has been been my biggest frustration because you want to lead from the front as a captain. Josh Butler sounding suitably frustrated. He's been out in similar fashions, hasn't he? Um, caught behind, looking to uh, to to run down to third man um, early on in his innings. I, I, I don't know, Harmy. I mean, he he's not making any excuses. At no stage has he ever made any excuses. He points out himself that he's played plenty of IPL cricket. He's entirely familiar with the conditions. He's familiar with with everything about India. And, you know, the same applies to, to Johnny Bairstow and, and many of the team, you know, the bowlers, most of the bowlers have, have played IPL cricket. Michael Atherton made a very interesting point a couple of days ago when he said that perhaps the collective eye has been taken off 50 over cricket uh, for the last 18 months in a in an effort to reset the test team and their fortunes. And that's worked to a great, fantastic extent. And, and it's... I just think that the hangover from being 2019 
champions lingered and and they just thought that they could roll out the same blueprint the same staff same personnel same game plans and as i said to you last week and a couple of weeks ago other teams i think have have moved on and progressed yeah other teams definitely have moved on and progressed and that's largely down to the way england have played cricket because england have made other teams progress and get better and change their game plans england changed their game plan england's game plan is not what won them the 2019 world cup i agree with Athen. You know, when I read what he what he had to say, and obviously I listened, you know, to his commentary when I've been out here, and we said it a few weeks ago, Manners, that I don't think England can play all three formats and be leaders leaders of the world in all three formats for a large period of time because it, the way our the way our structure, the way our fixture schedule is, the way we fit into the future tours program, the way we have to fulfil contracts from a broadcasting point of view. We can't do it. I, I just I don't see. We were 2019 world champions. We were the best white ball team. We were taking white ball cricket to a level that nobody had even got close to for four or five years. But we had the we had one of the worst test teams going, and that unfortunately fell fell on on the, on the shoulders of of Joe, of Joe Root. Now that test had to change. Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum had to make sacrifices towards a white ball unit. And the white ball unit that suffered was 50 overs. And it was always going to be, I thought, was always going to be a struggle to just play off the top of your head. But we changed. We changed. We spent seven and a half years going in the in the power play, crash bang wallop with jo- Josp- uh, Johnny Bairstow and, and Jason Roy. And then seven months, six months, seven months out, Devin Milan comes in and we, we play completely different in, in the power play. We have a different mentality going into that power play. Johnny Bairstow's no, nowhere near the level of where he's been in white ball cricket for for a little while now. Joe Root's played that much cricket around the world. He's He looks, he has to be tired. He has to be mentally and physically knackered. And but just that's that's just the nature of the beast because these are our top players. Our top players do have to play a lot of cricket. I'm not making excuses for them because at the end of the day, they haven't performed and they need to own that. But you, know, you, you can see that six months out from this competition, We've gone from basically Johnny Bairstow, Jason Roy, getting ahead of the power play, you know, like a lot of teams are doing now in the World Cup, and then giving ourselves a platform for that middle period to then the likes of, it was Morgan, it's now Butler, coming in with Mo and Ali, Liam Livingston down the order. Mo and Ali's not the player he was in 50-over cricket for the last couple of years. Liam Livingston is a shadow of the player that first broke into the England cricket team. He's got a, He's having a confidence crisis. So that's what's happened to England. But I think to say England have, have had this formula and had this way, I think is wrong because I think what they've done is I think they've changed the way they've played over the course of the last seven and a half years and got six months out of this competition because Jason Roy got injured and they were forced to pick David Milan at the top. And I think that is that has been the start of the demise of where we are now, two points from seven games in a World Cup competition, and we're out. Okay, let's move on to Ben Stokes then. He was asked about England's World Cup campaign, and uh, he made reference to the man who invented the flushing toilet, Thomas Crapper. And uh, so let's move on to the format that he favours then. And he's confirmed that he's having knee surgery straight after the World Cup. Uh, Amusingly, he claims not to know exactly what it involves. He, he's, uh, he leaves that down to the medical, the medical team 
And the surgeon, he says, he just turns up, they put him to sleep and hopefully he wakes up and his knee's all better. Is he cutting it a bit fine? I mean, that's five test match tour in India starting in, at the end of January. It's pretty arduous, especially for a man who doesn't really seem to know <laughs> what the problem is with his knee. Yeah, it doesn't seem to know. I, I don't think that the medics fully know exactly to the extent because I don't think anybody really wanted to find out because once you find out, then you have to act. And if you act, then you have to stop Ben from playing. If you stop Ben from playing, then, you know, from a test point of view, England's world would be ended, especially when the Ashes was concerned. So that was the, the conundrum during the Ashes. Did he go to the World Cup? A lot of people will look at hindsight and see, obviously it's a wonderful thing and they'll criticise the decision to bring Ben out of retirement. I'm not one of them. I think it's the best thing for English cricket for Ben to come back and play. He now needs an operation. The one thing I will say is he should not be in India now. He should be out of India now. England can't qualify. England need Ben Stokes at home going through his rehabilitation because England might only have a week left in, in India. That's a week earlier when it comes to the operation. That's a week earlier when it comes to rehabilitation. That's a week earlier. He will be physically, hopefully physically, more physically in a position. The bowl, when we come to India, possibly after two or three test matches, and that, that makes a lot of more sense. What doesn't make sense is leaving Ben Stokes in India till the end of the tournament, then sending him home, then having his operation a week after he gets home with a view that he might be in a position to bowl. He might be in a position to play. The unthinkable is that he's not in a position to lead England into India because we've left him in a, we've left him over here in the World Cup for an extra ten days. So I'm all for him coming back into playing one day cricket. I think common sense has to prevail now. You've got replacements. You've got people who you can send somebody over. But Ben Stokes should be coming home to have that operation to make sure that him and Brendan McCullum have confidence in his knee, even if even if he can't bowl, right? What's the worst case scenario? Ben Stokes' knee doesn't recover in time enough to bowl, but he still plays. He's in the same position he would have been if he didn't have the operation. But what he needs to be, he needs to be in a position to get on the field. And that, for me, you wait, in a short period of time that's left, we can't waste 10 days. 10 days is, is a far too long to waste in a rehabilitation point of view when you look at the knee that, Obviously, it's causing him so much discomfort. So for me, it'd be a massive mistake if you leave Ben Stokes here till the end of the World Cup. Ben Stokes just uh, confirming that he will have surgery and uh, we wish him all the best. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Mathlop, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Don't forget, you can now watch us on YouTube as well. You might be doing that already. Head over to TalkSport Cricket Channel and subscribe for more from the TalkSport team. There is obviously a lot of speculation about whether Matthew Mott's the right man. I think it's probably a bit unfair. I mean, nobody was speculating about whether he was the right man before this World Cup. And Owen Morgan was asked uh, what he thought about the talk that he might take over as head coach. A bit far-fetched, but everybody's entitled to to interpretate my comments. I was was very clear in in what I thought uh, might be a cause to the performance that the England team have produced throughout this World Cup and, and, and simply you know, contributing factors to that that surround it because n- nobody in the change room, captain or coach, any of the players can explain the situation that they find themselves in. But I, I'm very happy <laughs> and cemented, hopefully, in, in, in what I'm going to do for the future. I, I spend a lot of time at home now with my young family, which is, which is great. And I love 
watching on. And I actually think, you know, talk of replacing captain and coach is not a good idea at the moment, simply because of the high turnover of World Cups. You know, they're double world champions for a reason. They're not a bad team by any stretch. Matthew Moore is going through his biggest challenge of his England coaching career at the moment and it's one that he should be given time to put right certainly towards the World Cup next year the T20 World Cup in the Caribbean and the USA but if the England team don't qualify for the Champions Trophy the likes of Rob Key and and, uh, the board at the England and Wales Cricket Board will come under increasing pressure surrounding his job. Former captain Owen Morgan talking to uh, Sky Sport it's obviously been frustrating for him, Harmy. Um, you know, he, he's gone straight from the field um, into the commentary box and and acting as a pundit. I mentioned it at the time, didn't I? I thought that maybe a little bit of um, garden leave might be appropriate. You know, he's he's had to make some really um, tough assessments on on men that he probably still feels are his teammates. So he hasn't had that time to, to sit back and, and assess dispassionately. And it's been really, really hard for for him. Uh, Josh Butler also said that it was really hard for him when he took over as captain, watching Owen Morgan conducting interviews on the on the side of the field. And it is um, sort of slightly awkward. And and Morgan tried to be as diplomatic as possible for as long as possible. But he he has actually started to to say some truths. And he said that he has never seen a, a, such a talented team underperform to this extent. Yeah, and, and I think he's very good on the on the media side of it. And he opened a massive can of worms last week, which if that was me and I knew there was a, a rift in a dressing room after just walking out of it, I'm not sure I'd be saying it the way he did. There's no need for Owen Morgan to create a headline like he did because he's Owen Morgan. He's England's greatest ever white ball captain. I think he was, I'd like to think he was just speculating. I'd, I'd like to think that he was, he was trying to find a way like we all have. What is going wrong with this England cricket team? What has happened during this World Cup? And I, I think we're all at a loss to understand and get a definitive answer to say this is what it is. So we all, because it's so much of a fall from grace, you do speculate that somebody mustn't like somebody. You know, this little rift, this little group's gone off and formed their own little management group. You know, this little group over there doesn't like this little group. Yeah, you know, I, I played in teams like that. I played in teams where, you know, during the the sort of end of my tenureship, when in England's England's team, the, when the sort of the the Peterson and Swan argument, Pryor was involved in it, and that started to fester just as I was leaving, and you could see it was bubbling and building. There's no way I would go into the media and say, well, well, everybody knew Kev didn't like uh, Swanee, but <laughs> I, I was never going to go and say these were sort of pulling away from Kevin or these were having a go at Kevin. Um, that's not my position to do that. And I don't think Owen Morgan was was doing that. I think he was just trying to find a way of uh, of understanding what is actually going wrong because we've got so many good players. We've got so many world champions. We've got so many players who are leaders in their field at their certain disciplines. There must be something inside going wrong because we can't play like we're playing. And I think because of the way Owen Morgan says things, people do listen. He is going to create a headline because he is this great leader that that came straight out of the dressing room, straight into the media. When he talked about being coach, I, I remember back end of his back end of his captaincy on this very show saying, once Morgan finishes, he should just take over as coach because we need yeah. his leadership in there. Yeah. Now, uh, that, that ship sailed. Matthew Mott was damned if he did and damned if he didn't. 
he was never going to win in this situation. The minute he walked in that dressing room, Matthew Mott was never winning. If he wins the World Cup in the T20, well, he was supposed to. He had the best team in the world. You know, if he lost the World Cup in the T20, well, change of coach, change of method, change of philosophy. It must be it must be Matthew Mott's fault. And we find him we're in this, that situation in, in 2023 when it comes to this World Cup. Blame the coach because how can things go so horribly wrong? No, I think I think it's gone horribly wrong because I think you have to take responsibility as a player that the players didn't perform. The coach possibly he might he might be. I'm I'm just speculating, but I think now I think what what Rob Key has got to do now is he's got to back Matthew Mott. He was his man to bring in. If he is his man to take England forward, and he still believes like he did less than sort of twelve months ago. That is, he is the right leader. Once a Caribbean squad's picked and a line in the sand's drawn under the World Cup, Josh Butler's still my captain. Matthew Mott is still my coach, if that's what Keezy thinks. And then you pick a squad that goes on the next four-year cycle, two-year cycle, hopefully two-year cycle. They've got to qualify for the Champions League, for, uh, Champions Trophy first. But it, they've got to get to that position. And if it is Matthew Mott, then Keezy's got to come over and back him. And I think... I believe he will. I believe that Matthew Mott will get back to go to the Caribbean with a new group and start setting, putting his philosophies forward, putting his stamp on his team in world cricket because I can guarantee there'll be about 10 or 11 players out of this this squad who won't be going to the Caribbean because it's probably their time to, to sort of leave this great white ball team to one side and, and I think it's time for England to move on. I wonder whether Owen Morgan will actually make a, a great coach one day, but I don't think he'll do it uh, for the next 10 years or so. As he said, he's spending a lot of time with his young family. Yeah. He's very good in the media, and I think that that is a, an easier life. But we'll see. I mean, I, I think, that, you know, give it 10 years or so. But we need to talk about David Willey, who admitted that not being given a central contract was the final straw that persuaded him to retire. Um, my eyebrows were raised, as they often are, by, by lesser impactful news than that there were 29 central contracts. Michael Atherton made a big uh, point on television commentary about Mark Wood being 33 years old and injury prone, being given a three-year contract. I presume that's to encompass the next two Ashes cycles. But if David Willey isn't in the best 29 players in the country, then I, I sympathise with his decision to say, well, in that case, I'll go and ply my trade on the T20 circuit. Let's hear from him anyway. Over the last six to eight months, you know, the, the landscape's changing. It's always been hard for me to, to make sure I'm in them squads and I've got no guarantees and the anxiety leading up to every selection and then when I am playing, looking over my shoulder, it starts to weigh heavy on you. And I've, I've done that for a long time now and was desperate to play in this World Cup and, you know, it was great to, to be here. But, um, you know, all that rolled into one, you know, I just felt... I've given my all and, and I don't think I can do that anymore. I empathise with him, Harmy. I mean, you know, right at the time, I, I just thought that there, there were a lot of uh, contracts handed out to players in the autumn of their careers. And, you know, I understand wanting to keep a sense of control or at least cooperation with players in their mid to late 20s um, who've got five or six years to give to England. But, but giving central contracts to... Well, look, Adil Rashid's one of being one of England's best players in this World Cup, so he's been given a one-year contract. But you know, there there just seemed to me to to be an attempt by Rob Key to to retain control 
over players who are probably more interested in fulfilling their financial potential at the end of their career rather than playing for England. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to keep them off the off the the, the gravy train of the the franchise tournaments. That we've got some games. I think we've got some games that, uh, during times which are crossover with a lot of these world tournaments. So these these contracts had to be, I think, carefully thought out. They've spent a hell of a lot of money. I think this this has to work. I can understand why David Willey hasn't got a contract because David Willey now is only going to play twenty twenty cricket for England going forward. If I'm moving towards a new cycle for 2025 and 2027, I'm probably not looking at David Willey because at the age he's at, is he going to be around in two years' time in 50-over cricket? Possibly. But I've got Sam Curran. I need to make sure he's the next... He Hopefully, he's my next superstar. Left-arm seamer, Rich Topley. I mean, I, 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 he's probably punted Rich Topley over Sam Curran. That's a difficult argument to have because Reese Topley plays maybe a tenth of the games that David Willey could probably play from a body point of view. But you have to put all these in the mental pot and I could probably understand why Rob Key and the management team didn't give David Willey a contract because they probably thought they had other left-arm seamers that they potentially could use in T20 cricket because they probably didn't see David Willey. He's never going to play test cricket and he probably isn't going to play 50-over cricket again. I must say that David Willey hopefully will be remembered as an excellent and loyal servant to English cricket. He played in the 2016 T20 World Cup final yeah. and then, of course, was replaced at the last minute by Jofra Archer in 2019. Uh, didn't make the, t- the the 2022 uh, T20 World Cup win, but he's always been there. He's always been, as I said, a, a loyal servant and he's never let England down. And and frankly, Harmy, you know, I hope he does um maximise his earning potential in the next couple of years? Oh, 100%. I hope he cashes in big time. He's a nice lad, David. Spent a little bit of time with him when that brief stint at Yorkshire. I sound there as though I have a, a character assassination of, of David Willey, and I really didn't mean that. I'm trying to justify what the logic was in the foreseeing, the, the, the contract situation. He didn't play in the 2022 World Cup in the T20. And that, for me, coupled with the fact that a lot of the older players won't play 50 over cricket after this one, as to why he hasn't got a contract. The player himself, he's never let England down. He's never let England down. And England have let him down so many times. <laughs> On selection, you know, the World Cup saga with Joffrey Archer, he's been kicked in the teeth so many times for England. He could have run away many, many times and gone and, gone and jumped on that gravy train a lot earlier in the, the financial reward for playing you know, our franchise cricket but he's wanted to play for England. He's desperate to be the best he possibly can be against the best there is out there in the game. And he's not let England down. He hasn't. He's had a great career when it comes to him performing for England when England have decided to pick him. But it just seems as though whenever England have decided that, they've got 12. Unfortunately for David, he's been the one that missed out. Or they've got 16. And when they've got a 15-man squad to pick, unfortunately for David, he's the one that missed out. But he should be proud of what he's done for England. I think he's been a, a great servant and he's never, ever let England down. He's never let any team down that he's played for, whether it be Northampton, whether it be Yorkshire, going back to Northampton. He's a good kid, David, Willie, and I hope, I really do hope over the next five years, he provides enough for his family to live for the rest of their lives because he's given his heart and soul for England. He might be unlucky, but unfortunately... 
I can see why England have, have decided to, to move the, the goalposts forward without, without him, unfortunately. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Uh, next up, we'll discuss Pakistan keeping their hopes of qualifying alive, and we'll look back at that top-of-the-table clash between India and South Africa at Eden Gardens. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. With me, Neil Banthorpe and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you have missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, uh, you can always download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So India make it eight wins in a row in this World Cup with a resounding 243-run thrashing of South Africa. And Virat Kohli reached that much-cherished personal milestone of 49 ODI hundreds, drawing level with the greatest ODI run scorer of all time, Sachin Tendulkar. And, of course, it was his 35th birthday as well. So there's all that to talk about. Uh, But, Harmi... About a week ago, I think, you said you couldn't see how anybody could beat India and how they couldn't win this World Cup. And I thought, whoa, Harmi, there's a while to go. That's a big statement. But now I understand. <laughs> no, I just, the only team I can beat India is India. Whether they pick the wrong tactics, they pick the wrong team. To be fair, we're 15 overs to go. I'm thinking, you have to get a move on here because we're playing for you know, India playing for Virat's hundred, and they might end up being twenty short with this batting lineup like South Africa have got. But you know, Jadeja came in and put a little spurt on at the end and got them to the number that they probably knew that they needed to to win the game. Uh, it was a clinical performance, unbelievable with the ball. You know, Bumrah doesn't get you. Shami got them in in the last game. Siraj got them in in this game. 
just seems that sometimes Bummer is too good. He's too good. He bowls balls that nobody can hit. And then the other two pitch it up, swing it away, nip it back, and they make it uh, they make it easier to hit the outside edge or the or the you know the stumps on a pad. So I just thought it was a it was a fantastic clinical performance. Some of the the deliveries to the edge of ball were were unplayable. Uh, they were. It wasn't that Maharaj. Actually, the Maharaj, he actually walked off before the ball at the stumps. He had turned him round. He's like, he'd done a 360. I thought he was doing a hokey cokey. I thought he was going to throw his left foot in. And he just, it, it was an absolute beauty. And uh, nothing against, with the all due respect to Maharaj, that would have got a lot of top, top batters out um, who bat in the top six. But I can't see these lot getting beat. I really can't. Um, the only way I can see somebody beating India is somebody like Australia with a Stark. Stark comes on from the start, bang. He goes two in the power play, gets it swinging, and gets you know and get, catches them on the crease early. Same with Shaheen Afridi. That's the only way I see India getting beat. They are they are you know relentless. They were in South Africa. Yeah, they've had a good tournament, but I think that I realise that they're just as good as everybody else when it comes to the big boys, the hosts, and I can't see these lot losing. Okay, well Rob Walter is the head coach of South Africa. He's not widely known outside of South Africa and New Zealand, of course, where he's been coaching for seven years. But he made absolutely no attempt afterwards to apply any lipstick to the pig. To be fair, just dated with outskilled, really. I didn't feel that was a, a 320 pitch. Uh, they obviously got off to a flyer. I thought we've, we pulled it back nicely. I thought Kesh, Kesh have bowled beautifully today, along with KG. And 320 was, was too much on that deck, and then... From a bowling point of view, they put us under pressure right from the word go. Couldn't claw our way back in and, as I said, just got outskilled on the day. I just wondered about the, uh, the nerves um, that appeared to be on display at the start of the match. There was a lot of talk from three or four of the players before the game about it just being another game of cricket, which evidently it wasn't going to be um, in playing India in a World Cup game at Eden Gardens in front of 70,000. And I, I just wondered whether that was a deliberate thing to try and treat it like a normal game of cricket rather than sort of impress the fact that it obviously wouldn't be. To be dead honest, uh, I mean, in the lead-up to the game as well as just before the game, I didn't have a sense of, of the guys being overawed or nervous by the situation. I mean, the whole thing we spoke about this week was actually being excited by the occasion. It's not very often you get to play at a full Eden Gardens uh, against India uh, in a World Cup, you know. So from that point of view, it was exciting for me more than anything else. And I genuinely felt that the players were excited by uh, by the occasion. So, I mean, I can't speak for them individually, but I didn't get a sense of, of a huge amount of nerves prior to the game. That said, our execution probably let us down more than anything else and put us on the back foot. That was uh, Rob Walter admitting that uh, South Africa were completely and totally outplayed. They have a game plan. They have a blueprint. We've discussed this, uh, Harmi. Uh, but, you know, it, it's very limited. It's very successful. But they need to bat first. They need everything to go their way. They need to keep lots of wickets in hand for their blasters at the end. And if it goes perfectly, and if they can somehow, if they face India again, they need to <laughs> survive the new ball onslaught and then Jadeja's spin. And let's not forget Kuldeep Yadav. He's bowling, you know, as well as he ever has. As you say, they are the complete team. They've got Ashwin on the bench. 
And I think everybody will now be looking at uh, at India. They've made such a statement. This was a highly anticipated top of the table clash, and honestly, India looked like they were playing against a youth team. Yeah, they did. And you you look at this India side. They've got three world class players in in Bumrah, uh, Rohit, and 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 Virat, who who are streets ahead of of anybody in world cricket at the minute in their disciplines. You know, Rohit's the best up there with them and him and sort of Quentin at the minute in the power play. There's nobody better than than Rohit Sharma. Virat Kohli came at the tournament with possibly his last World Cup point to prove. Actually, with who I'm working out here, they they asked me for one before the tournament, one rec- one record to be broken, and I said that Virat Kohli would beat Sachin Tendulkar's 650 runs scored in one single World Cup, and I think he's well on the way to doing that. Um, and you look at the rest of the group; they've got some youth and the mavericks about them, the likes of Shoshaya. Suri Kumayada, Mohammed Shami, uh, Mohammed Siraj, Kulib, Shugman Gill, and then they've got them two thoroughbreds. Keir Raoul is a thoroughbred in the middle. He's a somebody who you you can build your group around. You can firefight if the if the top order gets knocked over. And Shami does the same with the ball. And you know you go the the, the last man is a man for all occasions, and that is is um, Jadeja, who on any given wicket, on any given surface, he's a threat. And he showed tonight when he came in with a butt when the bat, I thought they were just being just a little bit behind the run red, and he's you know thirty off not very many balls. I think it just took the the wind out of South Africa's sail. So that as a squad and as a team, they've got plenty of bench strength as well in their home environment, in their back garden. They all play under pressure. It's going to take something special to beat them if they don't just beat themselves. Yeah, I think South Africa's chances of causing an upset and winning this World Cup their first. Uh, have been improved by what happened today, uh, because I, I, I just I, I think it's hard for the team not to imagine that they were slightly better than they are, winning five games by margins in excess of a hundred runs, uh, and this now, you know, I don't think that they were getting ahead of themselves, um, but if they were, they now know just how far behind they are and how much they they have to improve, so. It'll be very, very interesting. And they've got four days in Ahmedabad to lick their wounds um, before their last game against uh, Afghanistan. And, um, and and India can start planning for the final, probably. Um, it'll be interesting to see who they get in the in the semi-final because Pakistan have got an outside chance army. New Zealand are still favourites. And it does beg the question, you know, there's India have won eight out of eight. New Zealand won their first four games. They've now lost their last four games. Now they have to beat Sri Lanka um, and uh, and Pakistan have to try and beat England by a considerable distance in order to overtake New Zealand for that fourth spot. So we'll talk about that Pakistan-New Zealand game in just a second. But on the point of India could win nine out of nine and then have one bad day and be knocked out in the semifinals, whereas New Zealand kind of bumble their way into the semifinals and, you know, they could conceivably win it. So the format is is not great. We have mentioned this before. Yeah, we have mentioned it before, and it, it isn't great. I think the world T20 is now at a point where it's just about right. 20-odd teams, 24 teams are going to that. Champions Trophy, I think, is brilliant, even though we can feel sorry for, for Ireland and for, for the West Indies not having a chance. But I think you get rewarded for what you do in the tournament previous. Top eight teams, two weeks, bang. I actually think the tournament's too long. It's far too long. And I think if if you had if you had a tournament where the, the top six or the top eight teams in the world come in after 
just for instance, you have Harari, like the, what they had in Harari, the qualifying. You could have that, and then two teams come into the tournament off the back of winning that with the best eight teams off the back of that. On top of that, two pools of five, top two teams, and you play each other. You play each other once. That for me would be a better World Cup. It would be a better tournament. You you could lose five games, and New Zealand could lose four games. Sorry, and, and qualify. So could Pakistan and win a World Cup. Never known any other sport have a team a chance of winning the trophy by losing four games. Doesn't make sense, especially when somebody wins nine out of nine and goes all the way through unbeaten. So I think that needs to be looked at for for further down the line. I don't think it's going to happen the next World Cup, but I think it's been far too long. And I think when it when it is over a long a period of time, injuries come into it. Fifteen men are not enough. So I think that 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 does need there are teething points in this tournament that need to be addressed for further down the line to make it a better tournament. Because I think it was John Norman put a message in our group. Can't think of the the cricket world without the World Cup being on. It literally feels as though it's gone on forever. It really does. Yeah, I've only been here. A, I've only been here a week. And I feel as though it's gone on forever. And it was on for five weeks before. And it's still got it's still got fortnight <laughs> left. It's crazy. Just a word then quickly on, on that victory over New Zealand that kept Pakistan's hopes of qualifying alive. Uh, there's no point having a discussion about uh, Duckworth, Lewis, Stone, the DLS method. But I do feel for the Kiwis. I mean, they put 400 on the board mm. and Pakistan were halfway, halfway chasing 400. You know, they're 200 for one. Uh, after 25 overs and to declare a team a winner in that scenario just it just it is what it is I suppose yeah it is what it is and it's it's disappointing that it's gone down to that from a New Zealand point of view because that was that was them in the semi-final they played some unbelievable cricket in that first half and whether Pakistan would have got there who knows fuckers Zaman got them in such a position but no matter what anybody says even when you know where they were at 200 nod for, was it 200 nod for one with, what, 20-odd overs left? Even even 180, I think they needed 180 when they went back on with 18 overs left. Even that, for me, is a lot of runs to get, even when Fakir was going the way he was going. It just took him to get out and then pressure mount from a scoreboard. And Chinnaswamy is a very, very difficult, is a very, very difficult place to defend. But I still think that would have been a hell of a lot of runs to get and if Pakistan had got there, I think they would have deserved their place in the semi-final straight away if they had done it. But for for New Zealand not to win, rain affected with 400 on the board, that's pretty tough. But I thought it was a great innings by um, Ratchin Ravinder. Ian Williamson, great friend of ours, brilliant to see him back. And he could be the difference. He could be the man that stands up to India in the semi-final. He really could. Ratchin Ravinder, Ravinder and... Kieran Williamson, they could be the two that stand up to India in the semi-final. Potentially, if, if India are going to lose a big knockout game, that could be the one. But I, don't, I love New Zealand, and we've been, we've had some great times there. But I don't know about you, I just, I would love to see India-Pakistan semi-final. Yeah, that's right, Harmi. I'm still trying to get my head around the logistics, of course, because as you very well know, they are very complex, and it's very hard to make. Airline bookings and hotel accommodation <laughs> bookings because you you just don't know if Pakistan make the semi-finals it throws everything into chaos because the two and three who were supposed to play in Mumbai and one and four who were supposed to play in Kolkata is overrided by the fact that Pakistan if they qualify for the semi-finals have to play in Kolkata because they can't get visas for Mumbai 
uh, Maharashtra, and um, if India, in India, have got a, in India, have got to play in Mumbai. Yeah. India, India have got to play in Mumbai in the semi-final unless they play Pakistan, which yeah. is in Kolkata because they can't get into Mumbai. So, fortunately, manners, I'm going to be in the freezing cold back in Ashington by then. So, <laughs> yeah, you, you you'll have to dodge the traffic for a little bit longer um, and somehow find a way of getting back and forward, but. I'd love to see it being in Pakistan. I'd love to see Pakistan get there. I think New Zealand will will get there. I think England have to win against Pakistan to qualify for the Champions Trophy. There's, they're going to have to win both their last games. So that is something that will hopefully kick England into gear. Um, and I think that might be the final nail in, in the coffin of, of South Africa. So I, it will be New Zealand against India, and that will be in Mumbai, and it will be South Africa against... Australia, and that will be in in Kolkata. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And don't forget, you can now watch us on YouTube. Head over to the TalkSport Cricket channel and subscribe for more from the whole TalkSport team. Let's talk about a subject that we discussed before the World Cup began, Harmy, when England were trying to fit 16 or 17 into 15. And it's become um, more of an issue and a talking point as the World Cup has unfolded. Um, the size of squads, 15-man squads. Um, Pat Cummins wants to see uh, bigger squads. Um, there's been some mixed reaction. New Zealand have uh, been struggling to put 11 on the field, which is really interesting because we spoke to Glenn Phillips after the South African game and asked him whether he thought that squad sizes should be bigger. And he said, no, um, it's the same for everybody. And I've been canvassing opinion. Um, Harmi, and it, it's really interesting. There are still some people around who believe that it's it's a kind of necessary handicap. It's a sort of a, a leveler um, because you've got teams like India and 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 England, who might be Australia, who you know have got twenty brilliant players and uh, twenty five, thirty, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And Pat Cummins said that uh, you should just be able to pick whoever you want, like not even have a, a, a limit to to the squad size. Um, so let's let's hear that comment from Cummins and we'll carry on the chat. I mean, it's a two-month tournament. You know, you wouldn't want to be in a position where, you know, say somewhere like a team like New Zealand have, have had some injuries and luckily they've been able to hold someone like Kane in the squad. But if, if suddenly you had to rule him out, yeah, I think that wouldn't be good for, for a cricket or a World Cup. So, yeah, it's not like you can poach players from other countries. So I always kind of think as, as many players as you need, you should be able to pick from. That's Pat Cummins suggesting there that you should just be able to pick whoever you want um, and there should be no limitation on squad size. But uh, to me, Hami, it's um, the the idea that it's the same for everybody and if you pick up injuries, then it's part of the skill, um, being able to mishmash together a team and, and change the balance and change the dynamic. That's a, a bit of a throwback to the amateur era in my days, you know, the sort of rugby union you know you see prop forward staggering around with concussion mm-hmm. and because you couldn't replace them unless it was an injury I, I I do think that you know this idea that trying to to put 11 fit players on the field and and carrying on with injuries belongs to a bygone era yeah that was a, a big one for more players before the tournament more from a bowling point of view I thought logistically getting around India nine games in a short space of time you're going to go through injuries, you're going to go through bowlers, especially at the back end of the tournament. We're, going to, we're seeing now people pick injuries up. New Zealand have had a nightmare with their, with their sort of numbers. Sri Lanka have already used 18 players. Night and night, they're bringing somebody else in as well. Um, England have used all their players going into it. It was interesting. I worked with Anil Cumbly yesterday, and Anil Cumbly, who was 
obviously the great Indian captain and, and leg spinner. He's no, 15's enough. 15's more than enough. It should be 15. should be capped at 15. So, you know, we had a little sort of back and forward because I, I still think in the modern day, the way the body, the modern body is, and the amount of cricket that's been played around the world, that would we like, would we get to a, the back end of the tournament and knockout stages and not have the best players in the world playing in the semifinals and finals when it comes to it? But I can see the logic on both sides. I, do you go to 17? Do you go to 18? Or as Pat's saying, do you just say, no, we're from Australia. We've got however many professional cricketers. We should be allowed to use any of them in any given time to play. Who flips a bill? I'm not so sure. The, the ICC say, well, we'll give you enough to to pick 15. But if you want to bring 35, you you buy your own plane, you find your own way, and you you share rooms. So <laughs> yeah, that's that would be the, the the sort of ICC's look at it. But I, I can see both sides. But me personally, I would rather a bigger. I'd rather see a bigger squad available because I want a semi-final with to make sure that. Gigisa Rabada is at his optimum fitness to play against India when Jasper Brumra is at his at his peak fitness because that's what World Cups are about. You know, getting the best to play against the best. Yes, it might hamper some of the, the smaller nations. Um, but I'm I'm all for two or three extra players in a squad because I think from a bowler's point of view, I just want that little bit more protection. Yeah, and there's careers at stake, you know. I mean, there's uh, there's livings to be made. There's tournaments to be played uh, after the World Cup, and if you if you drag yourself through injured um, and and the injury becomes worse, then um, you know it can have an adverse effect. But yeah, it's an interesting, really interesting point, and and one that I think um, will be discussed uh, for some time to come. Uh, talking of injuries, Hardik Pandya, who was touted to be the key for for India. The glue that sticks the batsman and the bowling specialists together. He's been ruled out after um, that ankle injury. He hasn't recovered from that. And India replaced him with a, a fast bowler, interestingly. They've decided that their specialists are working just fine. But I want to ask you about Jonathan Trott in Afghanistan. Um, their last two games are against Australia and South Africa. They may only need to win one of them to pip New Zealand and Pakistan for a semi-final place. They probably have to win both. And I don't think that's beyond the realms of possibility, to be honest. You know, if they get two turning wickets with their four spinners, I think that Australia and South Africa might. I think it's unlikely. But it, but the the mere fact that it is a possibility, Harmi, is a ringing endorsement of Jonathan Trott and what he's done with that Afghanistan team. Unbelievable. I think he's been unbelievable for that team. You know, he rightly will say it's been the players and it's down to the players. But And it, and it is. The individual brilliance of, of the likes of Mojib and uh, Rashid Khan and uh, Nabi's been unbelievable. And then the batters at the top, you know, Gobaz and, and Zidran at the top, well led by Shahidi. They're a fine side, this, this Afghanistan side. They are perfectly suited. They've got four spinners if need be. They've got two and a half seamers that get the power play done along with Majib. And do you know what? Anywhere else in India, anywhere else in India, and I'd say they'd beat Australia. Anywhere else in India apart from the Wankiri in Mumbai because that's not a, not a massive turner. It's a smallish ground, skids onto the bat lovely, bounces true. It'll be interesting to see if Australia just come out and try and belt Afghanistan spinners out of the park and try and 
brute force beat them that way. I think anywhere else, I'd fancy Afghanistan to beat them. I still think Afghanistan will give Australia a, cha- a game because of the way the way the Aussies play spin. He's seen them against Adil Rashid. You know, the way Rashid bowled tw- uh, 10 overs, 2 for 38. You know, Afghanistan have got three spinners with the mystery of, of, of like Adil where, you know, they can turn the ball both ways. You could see that the alarm bells were ringing in the baton, in the baton unit of, of Australia when Rashid was bowling. So it's not a foregone conclusion that Australia will go and beat back, uh, Afghanistan. And if, if they can do beat Af- Australia, then you wouldn't put it past them when South Africa are basically having one eye on the semi-final, possibly resting a couple of players that Afghanistan can go and beat South Africa as well. So I just it's just anywhere else. The, the player, obviously the player South Africa in Ahmedabad, if that one came first, you go, right, they've got a chance here, but... The player, the player Australia in the Wankiri, which is not con- not as conducive to spin. If you want to play any any team that's got world class spinners anywhere in Australia, it's either Eden, it's either Bangalore or in or in Mumbai. And unfortunately for Afghanistan, they're going to play some have some big hitters, some big brute force batters in a in a small stadium and a pitch which probably won't turn as much. So that might just hamper them a little bit. But to get them close or even conversation, that's semi final. Is a is a massive pat on the back to not only to the players of Afghanistan and the structure of the way they've done their cricket, but the way that Jonathan Trott and um, Jadeja set them up, especially in run chases. I think they've been calm, they've been cool, and they've definitely been calculated how to bat fifty overs. Jonathan Trott has given them a, a formula of how to chase runs, and that's been brilliant to see. And very quickly, uh, people have said that they've been surprised at uh, the success that Jonathan Trotz had as a coach. They never put him down as uh, as a potential coach, let alone a you know a really good one. But he's obviously a technician. We know that. Um, he, you know, he he knows the game intrinsically from a, a physical point of view. But I, I think it's the mental side that has made the big difference here. You know, you, whereas Matthew Mott might have a job of telling his players that they may not be quite as good as they think they are. Trot's job is to tell his players that they are better than they yeah. think they are, and they are capable of doing reaching the World Cup semi-final. So, is it that human side of, of Trot, the, the, the empathy that he has with the players that, that they've been effusive in their praise of him? Yeah, well, they've all got talent. You've got to have talent first and foremost, and that just sometimes there's sort of one forward, one foot forward, and two steps back because they do some. They do some brainless things. You know, you, you you see them hit the first two balls out of the ground for six, and then you think, and wow, just you know, you you're starting to go, and then they're trying to hit the the fourth and the fifth ball out of the ground for six, and you think, well, hold on, you've got sixteen off the over, just <laughs> nice and easy, take your time. That Afghanistan and Sri Lanka when they first come on the scene, Bangladesh when they when they first come on the scene, and it's a bit of guidance. But I, Jonathan Trott, I thought was always going to be a good coach. He's a, he is, like you say, a deep thinker of the game. He studies the game very, very well. You watched him play and bat. He had a method of, of concentration levels that far superseded anybody else. And even I've worked with Trotty a lot on the sort of punditry side, spent a lot of time with him during the Ashes away in, uh, in, a, in a studio when we did overnights. And you hear him talk about the game. You, you knew he was going to go into coaching. I thought England would have snapped him up. Um, in a way which would have been a, from a batting coach's point of view. But he's possibly not as his game wasn't wasn't as flamboyant enough for for some of the for somebody to uh to, to employ him 
uh, for England or for for India or for Pakistan. Or, so he's had to go in the hard way, and he's gone in the hard way with some talented, talented individuals. He just needed to make them into a team and give them a plan. And boy, has he done that. And I'm over the moon for Trot. He's a great lad. And he has been through a lot in his life. So he can, you know, from humble, uh, humble way and empathy shown towards the human element of the way Afghanistan players have been brought up in life, of what, what they've had to go through growing up and seeing their country decimated, to have their way out of cricket and to be given a coach like Jonathan Trott, who who probably understands them and has trying to sort of educate them in the finer points in cricket. I think it's been a match made in heaven and good luck to Trotty. I hope he gets the semi-final. I really do. Not because he beats Australia and South Africa, but just because of the way these boys have played. They've played unbelievable. And I, I really, really hope that Jonathan Trott and Afghanistan get to the semi-final because I don't think it would be one of these wow, eye-opening fluke stories. They get to the semi-final, they deserve that because they played some unbelievable cricket. Okay, and final word this week, uh, Harmi goes to Oman and especially to Nepal uh, for qualifying for the 2024 T20 World Cup in the USA and the West Indies. And Oman, we know, um, has been keen on its cricket and it has that big immigrant community uh, from the subcontinent and, you know, um, very much like the UAE, they, they are passionate about their cricket but Nepal is astonishing. I, I, you and I are going to go there one day because I've never, I've never been there. But every time they have a qualifier, every time you watch cricket at the national stadium, it's packed. It's sold out. There's 20,000 people. And we talk about the passion of, of cricket in the, the rest of the subcontinent. But I've never seen quite the consistent level of fervent support in Nepal. Um, so I've got a little tip for you. 2032 World Cup semi-finals, Afghanistan and Nepal. Oh well, well, yeah, yeah that that would be changing the landscape of cricket altogether, wouldn't it? It'd be great to see, and it and it is, it's brilliant. You know, we had a we had a joke a few weeks ago when when you were in Africa and I was in I was in Ashington that Mohammed Nabi had beaten his 43rd international <laughs> cricket team. And some people will go, 43rd? What do you want about? 43rd? Cricket's only played by 10 countries. And it's not. You know, this is the eye-opener of what the World T20 can give us. You know, the T20 can give us the gateway to the world. To see Nepal, the facilities in Oman. I've spoke to Neil Colleen and Paul Collingwood and one or two others who have been across to Oman with England and with younger England age groups and the Lions and stuff like that. This is a facility in, in Oman is unbelievable. So if you've got a good facility, you've got half a chance of building you know, a network of good cricketers. And it looks like both have. So congratulations to them both. We'll see them in the uh, in the 2024 T20 World Cup. And that's what the T20 World Cup's for. 24 teams, I think they've got that right. Champions Trophy, I'm pleased that's back. Eight teams in England have got to do well to qualify. The World Cup, I think, could do with some tinkering. But at the end of the day, it hasn't been a bad World Cup so far. But to have Nepal and Oman... And brighten the landscape, brighten the landscape of the world from a cricketing point of view. I think it's brilliant, brilliant to see. Yep, indeed. Uh, the twenty twenty seven World Cup, of course, will be fourteen teams, two groups of seven, and a Super Six, just like it was twelve years ago. Right, you've been listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and uh, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Um, if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed now, available via the free Talksport app. 
or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at a similar time next week uh, with more World Cup action. But for now, this has been another edition of the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.